0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Second Samuel chapter 9, and parents, if you want to dismiss your children for Children's Church, you can do so at this time. Um, any instructions? Out? Just out. Yep. Um, okay, well... Uh, This morning we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So as you're turning there, I want to alert you to um, next week, Pastor Bob will be starting his sermon series on what is Christianity. Um, So it's going to be a four-part series covering the basics of what Christianity is. And so if you are new to the church, new to the faith, or not yet a Christian, um, this would be a great uh, sermon series to attend. uh, To come and find out what does the Bible say about us about God and how we can be right with God. And so um, look forward to that in the coming weeks uh, as Bob starts that. But this morning we'll be in 2 Samuel 9. As I'm sure all of you know, Robin Williams died this week in an apparent suicide. Suicide shows us the brokenness of the world. Depression to a man who made so many fall on the floor in laughter. I can yell pretty loud. (laughs) We had issues last week, but we thought we figured it out, but that's okay. We'll just kind of play it by ear. Oh, Jim's got something for me. Okay. Do I just shut this off then? Oh, two-way. All right. Yeah, I like that. All right. We're probably going to have to lower this a little bit. (laughs) The deacons keep joking that they're going to get me a stool one of these days so I can stand up here. All right, is that better? Does that work? All right. Well, anyway, one of my favorite Robin Williams films is Patch Adams. And the movie opens with these words, all of life is a coming home. Salesmen, secretaries, coal miners, beekeepers, sword swallowers, all of us. All the restless hearts of the world, all trying to find a way home. Picture yourself walking for days in the driving snow. You don't even know you're walking in circles. The heaviness of your legs and the drifts, your shouts disappearing into the wind. How small you can feel and how far away home can be. Have you ever felt a little bit like this? That this world seems to be broken, you feel the pain of it, and you long for home. A place where everything fits right, a place where you truly belong. Well, this morning we want to look at a story of hope, a story that takes a man who's dislocated from his home and from his life and who is brought truly home by the glory of a gracious king. Well, to set up our story, we have two main characters. David, who's one of the most famous Bible characters, has just become king of Israel, God's people. He was promised the kingdom while Saul was yet king, and God promised that he would give the kingdom to David. Removed the kingdom from Saul, and David becomes king. God has just defeated all of David's enemies, cutting them off, and giving him victory everywhere. And the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God dwells with his people, has just been brought to Jerusalem with David. And God has just made a covenant, a promise agreement with David, that one who's descendant from David, one who comes from his line, would be on the throne forever. So things are going very well for David This this story offers a stark contrast with Mephibosheth, our other character. Things are not going well, as we'll see, for Mephibosheth. He's the grandson of Saul, the former king who tried to kill David many times, if you remember from Pastor Bob's sermon series on the relationship between David and Saul. So, with that context in mind, we're going to dive into 2 Samuel 9. Now normally we have uh, everyone stand to, to read the Word, but we're going to read the Word in, diff- in different chunks today, so we're not going to stand, um, but we're just going to read a section of it and talk about it a little bit, and then we'll come back to it here in a moment. So if you have your Bibles open, 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there, still, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. We're going to stop there for a moment and and notice a few things about Mephibosheth and his life, but let me pray for us first. Father God, would you... Speak now this morning by your Holy Spirit to us. Would you use this word, this message, your inspired word here this morning to transform our lives, to be more and more like Jesus, your son, we pray in his precious name, amen. Well, Mephibosheth's life can be summed up in one word, dislocated. What do I mean by dislocated? Well, dislocated means that something's out of place, right? Like a bone that's dislocated. It's not in the right spot. It's not working the way it's supposed to be. And Mephibosheth's life is like this. Well, how, how is it like this? What What is the markers of his life being dislocated? First, he's dislocated from his home. He's running away. He's in Lodabar. Now remember, Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul. He is a royal prince. But he's not living in Jerusalem where the prince would live. No, his royal line has been interrupted. So, he's evacuated out of town. Far out of town. Here's a map. And we see Jerusalem down here at the bottom, marked there, and Lodabar up here. He's run away. Far away. Why? Why is he getting far away? Well, the new king that takes over typically wipes out the old line so that there's no rivals to his throne. This is very commonplace at this time, and we don't have to look farther than the Bible to see this. In 2 Kings 10, Jehu takes over as king over Israel, and he has all the descendants of Ahab rounded up and killed so that there is no rule or no rival to his rule and authority. This is what kings do. So Mephibosheth is taken out of town so that he will not be killed. He's dislocated physically from his home because of his grandfather. He's simply born in the wrong line. His grandfather was an enemy to the current king. So not only is he dislocated from his home, he's dislocated from his relationship to the king the king that's currently in power. It's not right simply because of the line that he's been born into. So when Saul and Jonathan die in the same battle, Mephibosheth is taken to Lodabar. We see this account in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. There's uh, sort of an aside in the story that talks about Mephibosheth. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, about Saul and Jonathan dying in battle. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So he's dislocated in his relationship with the king. That's why he's running. And this running away leads to the final way in which he's dislocated. He's dislocated physically. He's lame in both his feet. He's made lame when his nurse flees with him for his life. And he falls and is crippled in his feet. It leaves him helpless. And this ends up being the way that he's identified. We see this in Zeba's description of him. He's in Lodabar and he's crippled in both his feet. So what do you think Mephibosheth is feeling at this point? Dislocated like this from his home, from his prominence of being a grandson of the king, from security, from dignity? I'm sure he's now afraid. In hiding, full of shame and guilt. Even his very name points to this. Mephibosheth in Hebrew means out of the mouth of shame. Everything is broken from Mephibosheth. and he's helpless to fix it. He can't change his birth line, his situation, or even his own body, which has become kind of a physical metaphor for his life. Dislocated. Well, what about you this morning? Do you feel dislocated in your life? Like you're on the run in low to bar? and everything is broken, and you're helpless to fix it. In his book, Ever Present, How the Gospel Relocates Us in the Present, Pastor Jeremy Wrightball writes about this feeling of dislocation. He says, fear, helplessness, depression, anxiety, and worry are all pain triggers. While we might comfort ourselves that each of these feelings is natural and part of the human experience, we equally know that they really aren't the way things ought to be. They remind us that we do not have peace. They tell us that we are not where we should be. This is a problem. We are dislocated. Well, Jeremy goes on to talk about this dislocation and how it occurred and the results of it. It was caused initially by the fall into sin by Adam and Eve. Our first parents. Something that Bob's going to be covering in his sermon series on what is Christianity. The fall. And now we stand in the line of Adam and Eve born sinful. Born dislocated from our relationship with God and others. Born as fractured images of God. Possessing some of what it means to reflect His glory, but dislocated. Not exactly right. And as a result of that, we dislocate everything around us. Justice is perverted. Mercy is missing. Relationships are hard. We fight against one another. Our dislocation from God ripples out and affects everything. Like a giant boulder being dropped into a serene pond, rippling out over the waters of our life and sloshing up on the shores of everyone and everything around us we're just like Mephibosheth dislocated from our true home from our king and unable to change you see the bible actually goes further than just saying that we're lame to fix our situation crippled in our ability to dislo- or to relocate ourselves as we read earlier in Ephesians we are dead in our trespasses and sins This morning, I urge you to think about this. Especially if you're not a Christian here this morning. If you have not bowed your knee and your heart to King Jesus, have you ever felt some of the things that we're talking about? Depressed? Afraid? Helpless? Anxious? All of these are warning signs that something's not right here. Something's broken with our world. Now, you could chalk all of this up to evidence that God doesn't really exist and the universe is spinning out of control and this is clear evidence that God doesn't exist. But if so, I would say that you have no right to think that something's wrong or broken and to feel like things are out of place. What could be right? What could be wrong? If the universe is just spinning out of control. If I get a new computer in the mail, and it doesn't work right, which doesn't happen to me, right? Because I love technology. <laughs> um, but it does happen often. But if, if I get a new computer in the mail, and it's not working properly, everything's going haywire with it, I can really conclude that the problems are coming from two possible places. Manufacture error, or design error. It, it just doesn't work right because it was designed wrong. Or user error. I'm using it wrong. It would be absurd for me to conclude this computer doesn't work. Therefore, it must not have been designed at all. No designer exists. The story of history, the story that the Bible tells of our relationship with God, one another, and this universe that we inhabit is one of dislocation caused by user error by rebelling against the God of the universe and trying to run things our own way. And it hasn't worked. We're dislocated, living far from God and out of sync with the way life should be. Well, thankfully for Mephibosheth and for us, this isn't the end of the story. Let's pick it up in verse 7 of our text this morning. And David said to him, "Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always." And he paid homage to him and said, "What is your servant that you should reg- should show regard for a dead dog such as I?" Then the king called Ziba Saul's servant and said to him, "All that belonged to Saul." And to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. The Holy Spirit certainly has a sense of humor. He puts Mephibosheth in this text so much that you have to keep saying, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. Well, in a stunning turn of events, Mephibosheth is brought home and welcomed by David. This is truly remarkable. You can see the tension rise in the story as Mephibosheth is brought before the king. What will happen to him? As he kneels before the king, he knows that what most often happens, when this occurs, when someone from the line of the former king has brought before the king, death comes. He comes expecting death. What will happen? And David speaks the most gracious words Mephibosheth has ever heard. "Do not fear, for I will show you kindness." for the sake of fa- of your father Jonathan and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father and you shall eat at my table always. Mephibosheth goes from dislocated to being brought home because of the glory of this gracious king. So Mephibosheth is brought home. What does home mean for him? Well, it means several things. First, It means that he's secure. He says, fear not. I'm sure Mephibosheth was shaking with fear when he came before David. And David says, fear not. I will not destroy you, but I will show you kindness. David's not going to kill him, but protect him, secure him, and show him kindness. Home also means that Mephibosheth is supplied with everything he needs by David. We see this in verse seven, where David says, "I'm going to restore to you all the land of Saul." And then in verses nine through thirteen, where he tells Ziba to till the land from Mephibosheth, so that Mephibosheth can be provided for. Now, what is this supply coming? Who is this supply coming at the cost of? David. David now owns all the land of Saul. David will sacrifice so that Mephibosheth is provided for. Finally, home for Mephibosheth means that he is treated like a son of the king. Welcomed like a son. This is the most important thing for Mephibosheth. And the marker of this is eating at the king's table, which we see in this passage. The king's table in this culture is very important. There's no more intimate a setting or strong a commitment to another person than to be invited to eat at the king's table always. It really sums up what it means for Mephibosheth to be brought home. And the text mentions it four times in just 13 verses, meaning it's got to be important. Verse 7, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 13 all mention that Mephibosheth eats at the king's table. It's very important and glorious. Out of David's sheer grace, he's adopting the grandson of his enemy to be treated like one of his very own sons. Now it is one thing for Mephibosheth, a glorious thing indeed, to be spared his life by a king who can and probably should condemn him to death. But then to be welcomed to his table like a son, this is something entirely different and entirely more glorious. Well, why does David do this? Why would he provide for Mephibosheth in this way? Why does he want to show kindness to the grandson of his enemy? A potential rival to his throne to give him status and provision? Why spare him? Well, verse 1 tells us in our text, it tells us that David is seeking to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, if you remember Pastor Bob's sermon series on David and Saul, we looked in detail at the relationship between David and Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son and David's best friend, which puts Jonathan in a really tough spot because Saul keeps trying to kill David. He keeps chasing him around the country trying to kill him. And so Jonathan's in this tough spot. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan and David make a covenant with one another. A covenant is a formal agreement or a promise between two parties with certain obligations for each party. Jonathan's agreeing to help David escape his father. And David's agreeing not to kill Jonathan when he comes into power. And if Jonathan's dead, he's agreeing to not cut off his kindness from the line of Jonathan. Don't cut off my household, says Jonathan. Well, the Lord fulfills his promise to David, cuts off every enemy from him, including Saul, Mephibosheth's grandfather. And the question remains, will David be faithful to this promise he made probably 15 or 20 years previous? That much time has passed between our story and the time he made this covenant. Is he going to be faithful Well, we might actually think he's already being faithful. He hasn't killed Mephibosheth. He could technically get away with just leaving Mephibosheth in Lodabar. Just leaving him there, leaving him alone. He's not cutting him off. He's not killing him. He's good. But David here shows what kind of covenant-keeping love he will display. God's covenant-keeping love. We see this in verse 3, how he says it. He says, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? The kindness of God. The word for kindness in this text in the Hebrew is hesed. Now it's translated mercy, kindness, steadfast love in other places and speaks of God's covenant-keeping love. His sure, faithful unfailing love. This, this word shows up all over the Scriptures. And covenant love is deep love. It's love, as Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the Jesus Storybook Bible, a Bible that all adults and children should own and read. Um, she calls it God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This is the over and above covenant love that David shows to Mephibosheth to take the grandson of your enemy and not just spare him, but embrace him as your son and to let him eat at your table always. This is over and above extravagant love for an undeserving man. Well, if we are like Mephibosheth in being dislocated from God our King and unable to change our condition at all, how can we be brought home like Mephibosheth is? Well, it's by the glory of a truer, better, and more gracious King. King Jesus. The rest of our passage, the, the New Testament reading in Ephesians shows us this. Ephesians 2, 4-7. through 7. We've already read part of this, but this is, is where we get the glory of our gracious King. But God being rich in mercy. Now this word mercy in the Greek is the same word that's used in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, for the word kindness in our text. Hesed. So everything we just said about that word kindness, that God's unbreaking love, pack into this word mercy. And then expand it because it's the riches towards us in Christ Jesus. This is God's covenant faithful love to His people. His great love caused Him to sacrifice at great cost to Himself to bring us home. The cost of His very Son. God came in the person of His Son Jesus to die the death that we deserve on the cross, to pay the punishment that our rebellion deserves And then Jesus rose from the dead so that any and all who trust in Him and Him alone can be saved. Any who lean upon the glory of this gracious King can be saved. And God made a promise for the sake of Christ to save those who come to Him. Just like David made a promise to Jonathan to save his line. John 3.16 says it this way, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Those who look in faith to Jesus will be shown God's covenant steadfast, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for the sake of Jesus. So if Jesus is how we're brought home from being dislocated, what does home mean for us? Well, the same things it meant for Mephibosheth. First, it means that we are secure. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Secure. Nothing can separate the believer from God's love in Christ. Nothing. What are you facing in your life right now? Death? The overwhelming pressure of life? Temptation? Strife? Nothing will separate you from God's love if you are in Christ. You are secure. It also means that we are supplied by God with everything we need. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now Paul, just before this, word, this verse in Philippians, has just talked about how he has learned contentment in whatever he faces, whatever situation, whether it's plenty or want. So he's not saying here that believing in Jesus means that you will be happy, healthy, and wealthy. In fact, it might mean quite the opposite sometimes. But God will provide all that is needed for you, Christian, to persevere in faith to the end when God will greet you face to face and say, well done, good and faithful servant. This supply of grace for whatever is needed is true for all Christians. Whether it's Christians suffering intense persecution in Iraq, or a family grieving the loss of a loved one, or someone suffering from chronic pain, or new parents facing daily life with no sleep, or students facing the pressure of making decisions about their future, or those who look at their finances and aren't sure where the money will come for rent or for food, for those who face physical or mental disabilities, for those who are suffering from depression, for those who are chronically addicted to sex, drugs, alcohol, All those who are broken, wearied, tired, and dislocated. For the Christian, God will supply grace for every need in the way that seems best to Him. He may not immediately or ever take you out of the situation you're in. But hope and joy in God is real and really glorious when it's tried under the weight of persecution or trial of any kind. God will supply grace for every situation, for every need. Well, finally, being brought home means that we're treated like sons and daughters of the King. Romans 8. Fifteen says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. As I said earlier, it is one thing, a very glorious thing, to be spared by a king who should condemn you. But then to be welcomed to his table like a son or a daughter, this is a glorious thing. And something entirely different. It's not as though God is a grumpy tyrant king who tolerates his subjects. No, God is a loving Father. One who welcomes His children and calls them to feast around the table of the King. To be His very children, loved as His very own. To share in Christ's inheritance. This is the glory of being adopted into God's family. To know God not just as Lord, but as Father. Caring, loving, patient, protecting, good, righteous, and faithful Father. Our text this morning belabors this point that David adopts Mephibosheth to be treated like one of his sons, and the sign of this is always eating at the king's table. Sharing a meal together is one of the most basic things that a family does, and yet one of the most wonderful things. It's where life is shared, where common bonds of peace, unity, and love are forged. To be welcome to eat always at the table is to be invited into the family. For the Christian, We long for the day when we will sit together as God's people, all God's people gathered from all time and dine at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The royal banquet between Christ and His church, which the book of Revelation speaks of. But we get a foretaste of that great meal now through the sacrament of communion, through this table, this table of our slain King, who offers to us to feast upon Himself, being nourished spiritually by Christ Himself through His Spirit, that we may know that He has truly adopted us into His family, that we are a part of the family of God because the King has invited us to dine at His table always. Brother Lawrence says it well. He says, this King, full of mercy and goodness, embraces me with His love, makes me to eat at His table, serves me with His own hands, and treats me in all respects as His favorite. This is the glorious promise of the Gospel. It's more than just having your sins forgiven. It is that and that is glorious. But your sins are forgiven for a reason. For table fellowship with the King. Intimate family relationship with the God of the universe. The gracious King of glory. Well, all of these promises that we've been talking about, being secure, being supplied by God, and being sons and daughters in His kingdom, are for those in Christ, for the Christian. Which means if you're not in Christ this morning, you're still not home. You're still dislocated from God and from others. And this is not the way things are meant to be. This is not the way things are meant to be. And you don't have to fix yourself up first. Remember, actually, you can't fix yourself up first. You're like Mephibosheth, lame in both feet, unable to come to Christ on your own. He must come to you. And all you need to do is cry out for mercy from a gracious King. The Bible says it this way, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, still weak and lame, Christ died for us. So if you feel weak this morning, that's good. You're ready to receive grace. And if you do not yet feel weak, You need to take a good look at your life, at God's law and your sin, your brokenness. You cannot earn God's love and you are unable to please Him in your flesh. That's why you need His wonderful mercy in Christ Jesus, who fully obeyed God in His flesh. And Christian, do not think that once you've received this mercy, you're strong to go it on your own. Our story ends with a curious additional phrase. Look at verse 13 again. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Well, we already knew that he was lame in both his feet. Why bring it up again here? I think the author is driving home the point that Mephibosheth remains helpless and utterly dependent upon David's kindness. That's us, friends. We remain helpless and utterly dependent upon the grace of God for everything. Nothing comes apart apart from grace, and grace is all we need. And as we've sung, it is surely enough. So just one final thought as a closing point of application from all of this. But hopefully you've already seen that the greatest application of this text, and indeed all the Bible, is to marvel at what a beautiful Christ we have. So what was Mephibosheth's primary function in David's kingdom? What does the text say? To eat at the king's table. To feast upon the bounty and goodness and kindness of the king. Christian, your chief end is to bring glory to your gracious king by enjoying his goodness and his kindness by feasting upon his grace gazing upon his majesty worshiping him for his abundant goodness to you receiving his grace how do you do this worship jesus Privately and publicly. Privately by devouring his word and being devoted to prayer. And publicly by gathering together with God's people to worship him. In all the settings that we do here as a church or in the church locally where you're from, but especially here on Sunday morning. Gathering together to hear God's word, to sing songs of praise to our glorious King to gather together visibly as the family of God and to partake together of the Lord's Supper, gathering around the table of the King to share an intimate meal with Him and with one another. This, friends, is God's abundant, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love to us for the sake of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your abundant mercy to us. Thank you that you have adopted us to be your sons and daughters through the work of Christ Jesus, your Son. Lord, would you help us to see you as beautiful and to worship you. And would you gain all the glory in our lives as we worship you and are transformed to be more and more like Jesus, in whose name we now pray. Amen.